I know that we have hopefully some folks tuning in on the internet from the United States of America. I want to begin with a quote from a former president of the United States of America, former President Ronald Reagan. In a speech about freedom in America, Reagan once said the following, The freedom we Americans enjoy is only one generation away from extinction. And the point that he was making was the importance of the coming generation to understand how precious a thing civil and religious liberty is at the price at which it was bought and for that generation to value it to such a degree as to preserve it and to pass on to their children the very same things that their parents had passed on to them. I have no idea whether Ronald Reagan himself or any of his speechwriters were reading the opening verses of Psalm 78 before writing and giving that speech, but it certainly expresses the sentiments in those opening seven verses. Of course, political freedom isn't the subject of the psalm. Rather, the subject is the importance of passing on to the next generation the things relating to the Lord. I'm sure that most of us have seen relay races, uh, the 4x100 or the 4x400. Maybe some of you even took part in them. And the most important part of the race is the handing over, the passing on of the baton to the next runner. And there's been times, as you've maybe watched on television, when the baton has not been properly passed on. And the result is that the team is disqualified and because they're disqualified, there is no way that they can ever win a medal. They not get the reward. There's usually three reasons why the baton is not successfully passed on in a relay race. First of all, the person with the baton, they fail to pass it on properly to the one coming after them. Or the person receiving the baton doesn't lay hold of it properly. And not having the baton themselves, they are then unable to pass it on to the next person. Or thirdly, the passing of the baton doesn't take place in time. You see, there's a certain marked area, a marked period of time, a window of opportunity when the baton can be passed on. And once you go past that, it's too late. The opening verses of Psalm 78 describe, I suppose, what we could call the relay race of religious family life. We want to look at this psalm this evening before we come later to administer the sacrament of baptism to Cameron. The reason we look at this part of scripture is to impress upon Joey and Monica in particular, but also upon all of us in general, the duty and responsibility that falls upon us. Parents, grandparents, members of congregations to pass on to the rising generation 
the things of God. So turning to Psalm 78, I want you to notice with me, first of all, this evening, that there is in these verses a privilege that is to be acknowledged. And you see that in verse 5. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel. So who is the he in that verse? Well, of course, it's God himself. And the testimony and the law that he established is that revelation that God had given to them of himself over the years, from the very beginnings of his dealings with their forefather Abraham in the land of the Chaldees, right through all of their forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right up to the very present day when the psalmist was writing. But there's no doubt as you read through the psalm that what was particularly in view was that time in the history of the people when God formally owned them as his covenant people, brought them out of slavery in Egypt, led them to Mount Sinai, established his covenant through Moses, gave them the law as the pattern according to which, as the people of God, they were to live, and looking forward to him eventually bringing them to their inheritance in the land that he had promised. You see, these people were God's covenant people. They were special. It was to them and only to them that God had revealed himself. God chose them to be his special covenant people. He didn't choose the Hittites or the Amorites or the Ammonites or the Girgashites or any of the other nations that existed on the earth at that time. Instead, he raised up a nation of his own, the seed of Abraham, whom he called Israel. God had shown them who he was. God had revealed to them what he was like. Other nations worshipped imaginary gods, gods of their own devising and their own making. Israel, they had the wonderful privilege of knowing the true and living God. And he had given them his law, which not only reflected his own perfect moral and righteous character, but also showed them how they were to worship and how they were to live in relation to one another and in relation to God. When we go to the New Testament, we see that Paul recognizes this great privilege that Israel had. In Romans chapter 9, he says of the Israelites that to them pertaineth the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promise. Whose are the fathers and of whom, as concerning the flesh, Christ came, who is over all God blessed forever. So Paul recognized that he was part of that privileged community that had been given this testimony and law, the revelation of God that others had not been given. And Asaph here in Psalm 78 is reminding the people to whom he's writing in his day of the tremendous privilege that they had enjoyed. Now, brethren, if Israel back then were highly privileged as a result of what God had revealed to them and what God had done for them, how much more 
Is that the case today for us who are the true Israel, the Israel of God through faith in Jesus Christ? Our spiritual privileges far exceed theirs. We have the privilege not only of living on the after side of the coming of the promised Christ, and that being the case, having a much fuller revelation of the character and works of God and his plan of salvation, but we who are part of the true people of God have been blessed with all the benefits of Christ's redemptive work and that which he has accomplished on our behalf. We are a very privileged people here tonight. And that's the first thing we see in this passage. A privilege that is to be acknowledged. There are people tonight all over this province who are in complete ignorance of God. Complete ignorance of who he is, what he's like, what he has done. They know nothing of the teaching of scripture. They know nothing of the law of God apart from that which is written on their hearts by nature. But to us has been given this wonderful revelation. We know the true living God. We have his word in all its fullness. We are greatly, greatly privileged. But not only do we see here a privilege is to be acknowledged, we also see secondly a duty that's to be undertaken. You see that in verses 4 to 6 of this psalm. We will not hide them from their children, showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he has done. For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children, that the generation to come might know them, even the children which should be born, who should arise and declare them to their children. And here's the duty. He commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children. In other words, the, the, the revelation that God had given of himself, the testimony and the law that he had given to Israel, that which led the very heart of God's relationship with the people and their relationship with God, this was to be taught and it was to be passed on to their children. And their children in turn were to pass it on to their children. Just like the relay race. So it was the duty and the responsibility of each generation to ensure that the things of God were communicated to the next generation. Now that could be done and indeed was done in various ways. There were those set apart who were the teachers of the law, the scribes, they were men whose responsibility it was to uh, instruct the whole community in the things of God, and we know that that happened. But whilst the duty of teaching the people as a whole fell as a responsibility to those set apart to do that, the primary place where the teaching of the things of God was passed on to the rising generation was in the context of the family. And note it was the father's responsibility to ensure that his children were taught God's word and God's ways. Look at verse 5. 
Notice the reference to fathers. He commanded our fathers. That, of course, does not mean that mothers had no part to play in the spiritual instruction and upbringing of the children. But what it does mean is that God particularly holds fathers accountable. And it is their responsibility and duty to ensure that the children of their home are educated and taught the ways of God. Parents working together were to give themselves to the bringing up of the children in the Lord's ways. And if for any legitimate reason the father at any time was unable to carry out that duty, he was to make sure that his wife carried on that work if he was unable to do it. And this was a very important principle that Asaph is coming to here and reminding the people of God off. It's a principle that's set out time and time again in Scripture, particularly in the book of Deuteronomy from which we read. In chapter 4 of Deuteronomy, verses 8 and 9, we read these words. What nation is there so great that hath statutes and judgments so righteous as all this law which I set before you today? Only take heed to yourself and keep thy soul diligently, lest thou forget the things which thine eyes have seen, and lest they depart from thy heart all the days of thy life. And then listen, but teach them thy sons and thy sons' sons. We read from Deuteronomy chapter 6, and in verses 6 and 7, we read these words. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. Is that all that was necessary for the adults to have the word of God in their hearts? No. Thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, when thou walkest by the way, when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. In other words, the things of God were to be constantly spoken about within the family. Deuteronomy 11 18 and 19. Therefore shall ye lay up these my words in your heart and in your soul and bind them for a sign upon your hand that they may be as frontlets between your eyes and ye shall teach them to your children. Speaking of them when thou sittest in thine house and when thou walkest by the way and when thou liest down and when thou risest up. God repeats himself making sure that the people understand this is important. The parents were not only to teach their children God's law, they were also, as we see from verse 4 here in Psalm 78, they were also to tell their children about the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he has done. The wonderful works, of course, of which Asaph is speaking is God exercising his mighty power and strength on behalf of his people. Initially in delivering them from Egypt and redeeming them from their bondage. Then in preserving them and safely keeping them during their wilderness years, providing for them, protecting them, being with them and helping them in their battles so that eventually he brings them into the land that he had promised. All of these things God had to be praised for. And the 
children coming up had to learn these things and, and know them. And yet it's a sad testimony of biblical history. That whilst there were some who fulfilled this duty, many neglected it. And they neglected it to such a degree that in the days after Joshua's death, we read these words. Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died being 110 years old. They buried him in the border of his inheritance in Timnath-Herez in the Mount of Ephraim on the north side of the hill of Gaish. And also all that generation were gathered unto their fathers. Listen to this. And there arose another generation after them which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works that he had done for Israel. And what were the consequences? The children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served Balaam, and they forsook the God of their fathers. Sadly, the same thing happened even in subsequent generations within Israel. This duty, this responsibility of telling the next generation the things of the Lord isn't a duty and responsibility that only applied back then in the Old Testament era. No. It's reinforced in the New Testament. Paul writing to the church in Ephesus, and he speaks, You fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Notice again the responsibility and duty of fathers in relation to this. Not an exclusion to mothers, but simply emphasizing that fathers are accountable before God for this important duty. Friends, it's the responsibility of parents, and there are quite a number of you here this evening who are parents, to teach your children about the things of God. And such teaching is to be a priority. In Christian homes. Now the church can complement the teaching the children receive in their homes through Sabbath school and CY, camps, the weekly preaching of the word of God and so on. But that must never ever be a substitute for teaching at home. And such teaching must not be restricted to a set time of verbal instruction. Half an hour or an hour each day or whatever it happens to be. As parents we are to instruct our children by our example. and By our words when we rise up, when we sit down, when we walk along the way. It's to be there constantly. If you as parents are not fully committed to the Lord... And if you make that obvious by the way you live in your home, don't expect your children to be fully committed to the Lord. If you're not showing them the importance of attendance at worship every Lord's Day, morning and evening, if your approach to worship is casual, irregular, don't be surprised if that's what happens when it comes to your children and their attitude to worship. If you're always complaining about the church, about the way things are done in the church, about the people who are in the church, 
Don't be surprised if your children grow up to be critical of the church and maybe want nothing to do with the church. Many parents make a point of stressing to their children the importance of education. Do well at school. Work hard. Get good grades. You'll be able then to secure a good career. But they neglect the most important area of instruction of all, the things of God. And they end up with children who are successful on one level, good qualifications, they've got their A-stars, they've got their degrees, they've maybe even got PhDs. Some of them are doctors and nurses and lawyers, high up in the civil service, maybe they're a teacher, maybe they're even a lecturer. Maybe they have a lovely home and a nice family. But the things of God mean very little, if anything, to them. Is that successful parenting? Would it not be far better that your son or daughter is one whom you know to have a loving, close relationship with God in life? Because that to you as a parent, is the most important thing of all. And anything that the children achieve beyond that by way of academic or professional success, whilst it is a joy, it is very much secondary. Not unimportant, but not as important as the things of God. George Barna, you've all heard of George Barnum, one way or another, he's the man who's well known for his polls. He's a pollster. But he also wrote a book, and the book is entitled Transforming Children into Spiritual Champions. But it's a subtitle of the book that struck me. The subtitle reads, Children Should Be Your Church's Number One Priority. Now, of course, our number one priority is worshipping God. We know that. But you can see what he's saying. And it's a sad fact that in our own denomination and in other denominations, that our children, as they grow up, are leaving churches in record numbers. Many of them are not convinced that the Bible is the word of God. They're not convinced that what's written in it is true. Many of them don't have a personal faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. They don't have a Christian worldview. They do not believe that Christianity is the only true religion. Many of them have turned their back on religion completely. Why is that? Well, brethren, is it possible that one of the reasons is either that their parents have woefully neglected their duty to bring their children up in the ways of God, Something, by the way, that they promised to do when their children were baptized. Or, in carrying out their duty, they have done it in such a way as to put their children off Christianity completely. Rather than made it something that is precious and desirable to them. I've had parents say, 
I don't want to force religion on my children. I want them to be free to make up their own minds about these things as they grow up. That's complete nonsense. Nonsense. There is no neutrality when it comes to the things of God, which is what's implied in that statement by the parent. Neutrality itself is anti-God. It's saying to your children, this is something that isn't that important. They don't let their children make up their own minds regarding school. They don't say, I don't want to force maths and reading and history on my children. I let them decide whether or not they want to have such an education. Maybe many children would like their parents to do that, but it doesn't happen because the parents know how important such education is. And to neglect that would be regarded as parental neglect. And yet it's all too common when it comes to the things of God for those things to be neglected. Joey and Monica, it's your duty to bring Cameron and Guthrie and Isabella and Marion and Rannick up in the ways of God. I know you've been seeking to do that. Continue to do so. You can't give your children anything more precious than a godly upbringing in the ways of God. Important as everything else in their lives will be, this is your great responsibility before God. Teaching them the things of God must take priority. And the challenge that I put before Joey and Monica, I put before all of us as parents and grandparents. Because you who are grandparents will have or can have a phenomenal influence on those young lives. And you children in church tonight, Rennick and the others, Isabella and Marion, you remember this in teaching you the things of God. Your mummy and daddy are giving you the best things in life. That brings us thirdly to consider a goal to be pursued. A goal to be pursued. Why should we do these things? I say goal, but there's actually two goals that the psalmist mentions here. And he mentions it in such a way that the pursuit of the first goal, hopefully, will bring about the achievement of the second goal. The first goal is to ensure that the children will know about the things of God. Verse 6, that the generation to come might know them, even the children which should be born who should arise and declare them to their children. Now, any of you who teach children will know it's one thing to instruct a child. It's quite another thing for the child to actually know what is being taught. For them to grasp 
what is being taught to them. My daughter, like some of you, homeschools, and in doing this, she has to, for example, when it comes to mass, teach their children their times tables. It's one thing for her to teach them their five and six and seven times tables. It's quite another thing for the children to know their times tables. To know what they've been taught. My daughter Sarah could on one level absolve herself from the responsibility of teaching the children their times tables by saying, well, I sat them down, I went over it with them, I told them seven sevens are 49, eight fives are 40, and so on. No. She has to ensure that the children grasp and understand what is being taught. So to the parents of whom the psalmist is speaking in these verses, they were to teach their children the things of God in such a way that they didn't simply set facts about God and about his dealings with them before the children, but that the children came to grasp these things, both the facts of God's actions on their behalf and also how wonderful these things were. And how privileged they were to be the objects of God's great mercy and the benefactor of God's great works. To teach them in such a way that their children would know them. That they would know the laws and why they were there and how they should obey them. So that they would have an appreciation of God's dealings with them as people. And again, to Joey and Monica and all of us who are parents, that ought to be our goal in teaching our children the things of God. Not that we can tick a box at the end of the day and say, right, I've taught them about creation and I've taught them about the flood and I've taught them about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and David and about Jesus coming into the world and about the cross. But rather that we impress these things on our children so that they are as familiar with them and as competent in their knowledge of these things as they are in doing their five times tables or being able to read words and sentences. We're not just to familiarize them with the content of Scripture. But we're also to show them why these things are so and what these things mean. And that brings us then to the second goal, which hopefully arises out of the first goal. Verse 7. So that they might set their hope in God. You see that? This is what the covenant's all about. God to you and to your children after you, so that they might set their hope in God. The goal is not merely to give information, but rather to bring our children by grace to faith in the Lord himself and to own the Lord as their God, Christ as their Savior, for them to love the Lord their God with all their heart and soul and mind and strength. That's the goal. We bring our children up in the ways of the Lord, in the prayerful hope and expectation of faith 
that they too will come to personal faith in Christ and through faith be part of that true Israel of God. Joy and Monica, you've been blessed with another child, little Cameron. And as with him, so too with Renick and Marion and Isabella and Guthrie. I'm sure you've got hopes for each one of your kids. The sort of hopes and ambitions that any parent has for their child. But over and above whatever those ambitions may be, the most important thing that you should desire for your children is that they come to personal faith in the Lord, that they might know him and that they might set their hope in God. That they would acknowledge Christ as their Lord and King. That they would be filled with a love for him and a desire to serve him all the days of their lives. That's the most important thing of all. And Cameron, or sorry, Rennick, and Isabella, and Marion, that's the most important thing to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if your kids go on to become doctors, nurses, teachers, lawyers, CEOs, house mothers, secretaries, or whatever, that they will be Christian doctors, Christian nurses, Christian mums, Christian secretaries, or whatever. And to that end, tell the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders he has done, that they might know them and that they might set their hope in God and might not forget the works of the Lord. It's my prayer, Joy and Monica, that the Lord will give you grace to do that which you are doing. And that he will be pleased to bring about in the lives of each one of your children that which is, I know, your heart's desire, that they might set their hope in God. May it be so for the glory of Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. The session was constituted before our service this evening. I'm going to ask Joy and Monica to come forward with Cameron, and I don't know whether the rest of the children are coming up or not. If they are, they're welcome to do so. Can I ask the elders to come to the front as well, please, if they're able? Uh, if the elders would also come forward, a session. Before Joey and Monica can have their son baptized, they have to first of all fulfill the requirements that are laid down in our code. First of all, they have to affirm 
the terms of membership of the Reformed Presbyterian Church. I'm going to ask them each of those terms, and I want you to affirm each one of them. And then there are specific vows that they take before God, which on behalf of the session I will put to them. First of all, Joey and Monica, do you accept the scriptures of the Old and New Testament as the word of God and the only infallible rule of faith and practice? Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, the only Redeemer of men, supreme in church and state and independence on divine grace? You take him as your Savior and Lord. Do you promise by divine grace to show a teachable and submissive spirit to the teaching of the Holy Scripture as set forth in the testimony of the Reformed Presbyterian Church of Ireland? And do you promise by the help of the Holy Spirit that you will endeavor to live a life consistent with your profession? The following are specifically related to you presenting Cameron for baptism. Do you acknowledge your child as a covenant child? And according to the gracious design of Christian baptism, do you dedicate your child to God and present him for recognition as a member of the church? Do you promise to perform the following parental duties? Pray that your child may be renewed and brought to a saving faith of Jesus Christ as signified in this sacrament. To seek that your child may come to know the Holy Scriptures and to know the duty of committing himself to God. To rule well your household, exercising parental authority with firmness and love, setting the example of a holy and consistent life and attending with regularity to personal family and public worship. And finally, to seek that your child, while young, may come to understand the history and doctrine and practice of the Reformed Presbyterian Church and may be helped to experience the blessings of loving obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you so promise? The following question is addressed to the members of the congregation here in Loch Brickland. Once I put this question to you, would you please show your assent by raising your right hand. Do you promise to pray for this covenant child and to seek by example and precept to encourage him to walk in the ways of the Lord? Do you so promise? Please assent by raising your right hand. Thank you. It is a wonderful privilege to have a child born into a Christian home and for that child to be received into the community of God, the church on earth. The visible sign of that is that of baptism. Baptism signifies the washing away of sin, union with Christ. It signifies these things. It does not impart these things. It is the prayer of the child's parents, the prayer of his congregation, what is signified in baptism will become a reality in the life of this little one. And we trust sooner rather than later. Cameron, David, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. The Lord be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up a light of his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.
The congregation, please stand as we pray. Most gracious and loving God, what a wonderful privilege and blessing it is to have another covenant child, not just into this family, but into the family of the church here in Lockbrickland. We thank you for each and every one of the children who have been born into this congregation, for each and every one who has been taught the ways of God, and in whose lives the Spirit of God has graciously worked to bring them to personal faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray, Lord, for Joy and for Monica, that you would equip them and grant them the grace they need to teach these things to their children. We thank you for each one of them. We thank you, Lord God, for Rennick and for Marion, for Isabella, for Guthrie and for Cameron. Lord, grant that Joy and Monica will have that wonderful privilege that goes beyond all other privileges, the privilege of knowing household salvation. Grant that as these children grow up in this congregation, that those who are members of the church will encourage them in the ways of God and that through all the means of grace, you, Lord, may set your seal upon them and that which is signified in the sacrament of baptism will indeed become a reality in the life of these children and of all the children in the congregation. We commit them to you and seek your blessing upon them for the glory of Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Congregation can be seated. We bring our service to a close by turning to our final psalm. And our final psalm is psalm number 78 from which we've sung. And we're going to sing together the first seven verses of this psalm. The tune to which we sing is number 129. Psalm 78, singing from verses 1 to 7, and the tune is number 129. His testimony and his law in Israel. Excuse me, I turn it up. He did place. Apologies. Attend my people to my law, thereto give thou an ear. The words that from my mouth proceed, attentively do hear. Goes on to speak about his testimony in verse 7 and his law. In Israel he did place and charged our fathers it to show to their succeeding race. That so the race which was to come might well them learn and know, and sons unborn who should arise might to their sons them show, that they might set their hope in God and suffer not to fall his mighty works out of the land, but keep his precepts all. Psalm 78, singing the first seven verses of the psalm to the tune 129. After the singing of this psalm, I'll ask Joy to dissolve the session from its constituted capacity, and then we will receive the Lord's benediction. Let us worship God together. <clears throat>
Presbyterian Church in Loch Brickland, and in the name and by the authority of Zion's only King and Head, and the Lord Jesus Christ, do declare this court of session duly dissolved from its constituted capacity. Receive God's blessing. Go in peace. And may grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit one triune God, rest and abide 
with each of you, the people of God, this night, throughout the rest of life's journey, and then forevermore. Amen.